Welcome to Cafe with Strangers. I am your host, Monica, and today's guest is Priscilla. Tell me about yourself a little bit, like about your life growing up in a Latin household. Okay, well, I am 28 years old. Um, I was born in Riverside, California, mm -hmm. and raised in mostly Marietta and Temecula, California. My parents are, they were teen parents mm -hmm. when they had us. Um, they're originally from Long Beach is where they met, but my dad was actually born in Paredones in Mexicali. And then I guess when he was young, they came to the U.S. And um, they kind of just raised a family of like eight kids in wow. Long Beach. Yeah. And both of my grandparents didn't speak English. Mm -hmm. And they were just like, I think, working the field. And then my grandpa um, eventually became a mechanic. Mm -hmm. And um, my dad says he had a rough upbringing. So when he was really young, like probably 12 or 13, he got into a gang, mm -hmm. um, like his older brothers. And that's kind of how he met my mom because she was raised in Long Beach. She's Mexican-American, her parents are Mexican-American. And I think she's like third or fourth generation. Um, oh, okay. But they grew up like in Long Beach and my mom's older cousins were in gangs in Long Beach and they were friends with my dad and so they kind of all knew each other and my grandma on my mom's side actually used to help the Cholos get back into schools after they would get kicked out for fighting and gang violence and so my Wella knew my dad and so when my mom like thought he was cute and was trying to date him she was like oh hell no but you know they ended up together and they had my older brother um I think it was my mom's sophomore junior year of high school and then they had me and I was at my mom's graduation <laughs> and then my little brother was when my mom was 18 or 19. Mm -hmm. um my dad didn't have any other kids other than like us three and we were kind of like what you would call whitewashed mm -hmm. because um my grandparents moved my mom out to Marietta when she, right before she got pregnant with my brother because they wanted to get away from like the gang violence and their money would go further if they moved to the middle of nowhere and just commuted daily to Long Beach. So they moved, my dad was like, you're not going to take her from me. It was like super dramatic. And mm -hmm. so they're like, all right, well, come with us. You can't be involved. Like you can't be on the streets, nothing. Like you're just going to live a normal life. So they moved together and what do you expect? Like they had kids and um, my dad was very self-hating, even though like he was like in the lifestyle. It's like when he had kids, he was like, no, I don't want them to learn Spanish. Even yeah. though my Wella was like, no, like you have to let me teach them. And he was like, nope, I don't want them to have accents. They're not going, we weren't allowed to play soccer. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's like when you see my dad, he looks what people would think is like a stereotypical cholo, but yeah. he didn't want us to be stereotypical in other people's eyes. And obviously I was too young to understand that. So yeah. I just, that's why I speak like this. And I just did well in school. And then as I got older, I'm like, I like, I'm not really connected. Like, of course we were close to our family on both sides and I knew I was Mexican and that's just all I knew. It's like, oh, you're Mexican. And then I was kind of like the token Mexican girl, but I didn't realize like well there's a lot to unpack here like I'm not white but to Mexicans and like to my cousins back in like LA County and stuff they're like oh you're such a white girl and I'm like I'm just normal and then 
I graduated high school and I moved to like the Long Beach area and I kind of got more like involved in my own culture and I was like oh I wish I could learn Spanish and then um yeah as I got older like I started having those conversations with my dad and he's like if I could do it over again like you know I was just so dumb and I just wanted you know the American dream and I wish I would have taught you guys Spanish and um yeah he just totally agrees that everything he did in that way was wrong and I'm like, yeah, I could have been, like, a good soccer player. I could have had kids who speak Spanish yeah. because, like, my kids don't know Spanish, especially because um, I moved because of the Army when I was younger. Uh, so when I had kids, we weren't around my family. No one was around to teach my kids Spanish, and obviously I didn't know. So that really, like, caused a lot of, like, issues with the next generation because um, – my dad said that being like Mexican in the U.S. in the 70s, because they only came over because of Reagan's amnesty mm -hmm. that was granted to them. Okay. So it was like, yeah, it's okay because you guys are legal to be here, but he still faced like the xenophobia and like the racism yeah. of being like a insert slur here so it always made him feel like shit and okay. he was like yeah my kids are never going to go through this so he really tried to whitewash us as much as possible and I understand that it's like really bad but then at the same time it's like he didn't know any better his parents really didn't teach him anything mm -hmm. um, there was also like he speaks Spanish that's his first language but there was just like a language barrier he didn't really like see his parents as parents at a certain age when he was like running the streets and stuff and it was kind of like a survival tactic for him. So it's like my grand, my other grandparents moved us to Marietta. They had kids. Um, and then my dad could have gone back to like Long Beach and all that when he had his own family. But he decided like it was best to raise us in like a white suburb where mm -hmm. everything was safe, where people didn't know where he lived. So no one could like disrupt our lifestyle. And yeah, I... Like, I have a lot of, like, empathy for my dad because I know it really was a survival mm -hmm. tactic. But I'm like, oh, God, if only that stuff didn't exist. Like, I would feel <laughs> like I didn't have as much of an identity crisis because when people meet me or hear me talk, they're like, oh, you're white. And I'm just like, I've never, like, lived a white experience, even though I lived, like, privilege in the suburbs. As much as, like my friend group was white, mm -hmm. I was still Mexican to them. Yeah. Like, I was still, like, the only Mexican yeah. they knew. So, looking back, I'm like, oh, my God. Those weren't just, like, funny jokes. Like, those were microaggressions. Like, yeah. Yeah. And my little brother, like, had gotten in his first fight in, gosh, middle school because someone called him a beaner because he wore, like, a Mexican flag shirt to school one time mm -hmm. and, like, if you see my little brother, he literally looks white. He's He actually has a different dad than I do, but my dad raised him. He's Mexican and Italian, mm -hmm. and he's just so, like, round pride about everything. It's funny. Um, but, yeah, like, we would start to have issues with people in school when it would come to, like, the race thing, or it's like we would have an argument about something, and then, like, a slur would come out. And mm -hmm. Now, I know how, like, serious the slurs were, but back then it was just, like, they were talking shit. And, like, yeah. Um, yeah, so, basically, that's that's how my upbringing was. That's who I am. Like, my mom is Mexican-American, but her first language was Spanish as well. And 
um, she'll be fine with me talking about this, but she didn't teach us Spanish because she lost a lot of her Spanish because she was trigger warning, like S-A'd by a babysitter's family member in kindergarten who only spoke Spanish. He was visiting from Mexico, only spoke Spanish. And my mom, she, Spanish was her first language and she only spoke Spanish to my abuela because that's how they like taught it. Like in school and to everyone else, you can speak English. To me, you speak Spanish. And then like my family knew something was wrong when my mom would stop speaking Spanish and stop responding to my abuela in Spanish. Yeah, and it, it pretty much... I mean, it came out when she was younger. Like, they talked about it. They've been to therapy. There's a lot of issues. But my mom's like, I lost the Spanish because it, it, like, traumatized me to, like, hear someone speaking to Spanish, speaking Spanish to me because that's what he would do when he was harming me. And so she lost it, but she understands it. Mm-hmm. And then she's, like, healed since then. She's She talks about it freely. And when I had graduated high school she moved out to like the Long Beach area and she's like way more fluent in Spanish now because she just has to use it in her everyday life. Mm-hmm. And like growing up, she didn't have to use it when she was raising us in a white area. Yeah. Um, so that's the reason my mom didn't teach me, even though she wanted us to learn. But my dad was also kind of like the boss yeah. for everything. So she just went with whatever, like whatever Danny says, okay, it's fine. And then, um, yeah, that's pretty much how my upbringing was. Okay, so this is what I love about <laughs> literally knowing nothing about you other than the questionnaire thing because I relate with you on so many of these things so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things when you said whitewashed, I consider <laughs> myself whitewashed because of how I grew up because I lived in Idaho for a couple years. Oh my yeah, gosh. during my formative years, teenager years, I live in Idaho and Again, I was the only Mexican friend that my white friends had. Um, the Mexicans that were, or the Latinos that were in my school, I don't know what it was, but we didn't hang out. And that made me feel even a little more like. And there was probably less Mexicans too, uh, right? Like, you know what? There's actually a good amount of people there. They're still seen as a minority. There's They are mostly the ones that are coming straight from Mexico, which oh, is really? so funny. I was like, why are you gonna choose Idaho? But it's, like, further from the border, right? And it's they a lot feel further, safe. Further, I, you know what? That's what I realized growing up. Like, oh. it, something clicked. I was, like, because I know in San Diego there's, like, a lot of Mexican yeah. families out there. But then we were visiting, like, L.A. County, and we were in, like, L.A., and it's very Mexican over there. And my dad was saying, like, you know, because it's further from the border than San Diego and, like, Marietta and all those places, you want to be further from the border but then also have, like, a community around you. Yeah. So... That's when I started realizing, like, oh, there's Mexicans in all these other states. It's probably either because of, like, farming or because they just want to be further from the border if they're dealing with, like, you know, like, green card issues or, like, you know, their papers. Uh, my dad's family is wasn't too far from the border, but also they had amnesty. And yeah. my dad only faced deportation when he was, you know, getting in trouble with the law. And I think he had to actually live in Mexico for a bit when he was a teenager but yeah oh wow a lot of people try and like move further away so it's not that's a different perspective that I never thought about Mm -hmm. the way that you grew up I in the similar how I had some similar experiences 
living in Idaho really fucked with my identity. And so I guess I want to get more into details about that. Like, yeah. what struggles did you have as a kid and, you know, even as an adult growing up that, you know, about your identity? So I was always aware that we're Mexican. Mm-hmm. But, like, of course, Mexican's not a race. I understand it's not a race. But in the U.S., we are treated like we are a different race if we're not, like, completely white passing or yeah. anything. And my mom can kind of, like, toe the line because she does look like you. She has, like, the lighter brownish, like, hazel eyes. Mm-hmm. And she looks like she's from Spain. Like, she's the very full dark eyebrows and, like, dark brown hair. But, like, freckles and very light and pale and stuff. So, like, yeah. that's my mom. But she's still, like, I don't care. I'm Mexican. I'm, like, Mom, you're a white Latina. Um, <laughs> but, like, I was very aware that we're Mexican because, like, my grandparents spoke Spanish. My dad spoke Spanish. Like, in the household, everyone's Mexican. And over the weekends, we would still go visit our family mm-hmm. in Long Beach. And I'd be around nothing but Spanish-speaking people. And, like, my dad and all the tias would be just yapping away. And I could not understand everything. So, like, I was aware of it. But then my daily life at school and stuff, I was around white kids. And, of course, especially at that time, like, I was born in 93, so, like, the 90s and the 2000s, it was all, like, blue eyes, blonde hair, very skinny. That's the beauty standard. Yes. And, I mean, Britney Spears was my idol, Britney and Christina growing up, and, um, like, from kindergarten. And so, like, I, I wanted to be white. Like, oh, my gosh, I wish I was white. I took it as a compliment when people thought I was white because of the way mm. I spoke. Or when teachers would be, like, one time I was, like, no, I'm Mexican. They're, like, oh, but you're half, right? Like, you're Mexican wife. And white, and I'd be like, no, I'm just regular Mexican. But like internally, I'd be like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> but um, I just thought that it was like easier to go through life if I was white and stick skinny, blonde hair, blue eyes. Like I never thought anything dark features. And even in my family, like everyone is colorist. It's like, oh, mm. the huero was like, you know, that was everything, Mm -hmm. um, our cousin and stuff. And I was so upset that I had black eyes, like scientifically, the darkest eyes you can have are dark, dark brown. That's what I have. And it's considered black on my license and everything. And I have dark, dark hair. I didn't have freckles like my mom and my little brother. I am just a lighter version of my dad, who, if you saw him, looks indigenous, like, Mm -hmm. I have his nose. It's like shaped like an arrow, everything. And my eyes are that shape. And everyone called me like, obviously the word that we shouldn't be saying um, for when like a child looks Asian in your family when you're Mexican. Wow. Yes. So that's what I was called. And I was just like, God, like, why do I have to look like this? Like, I felt like no one, none of my friends looked like me. And I just felt so ugly as a little girl. Um, and... I felt like I was also like I had a superiority complex when it came to like my cousins and stuff because they were still living in like rough areas and they had like accents and they were mean to me because they're like, oh, you're a white girl. And I'd be like, oh, I don't care. Like, I don't have an accent. Like, I sound educated. As a little kid, I would even think that. And then I got older and I started to like embrace like being Mexican and stuff just because I started to have a lot more problems with white girls especially and realized that like white women are aggressive and dangerous and it starts young with like their victim complex and I always had issues like with friend groups and those friend groups were always white. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, like my lifelong best friend of like 20 something years is she's Mexican. She's from, she also like sounds whitewashed. She was raised like pretty privileged, but she was um, raised in Long Beach in just like a nicer neighborhood. And um, I always connected to her with like no issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I graduated high school, I lived with her until I left for the army and I just felt like finally felt at home when I I lived with her and I was around her nana and her nana didn't speak English, but Mm -hmm. she spoke Spanish to me and like spoiled us and cooked for us all the time. And they lived over in the west side of Long Beach. And I just felt like, oh, my God, like I finally belong somewhere. But then comes social media and Twitter and you find out like, okay, your identity is a whole mess because yeah mexican's not a race like i didn't find that out until i was an adult that, really yeah like being mexican and stuff like that's not a race and i'm like what are you talking like i'm not white <laughs> i'm like i don't care i'm i didn't know about any of that and then i'm like okay well my mom's definitely white latina my dad's not a white latino at all and then you hear like the m word i i'm gonna say just to explain what I'm talking about. Like, then I hear like, mestizo, mestiza. I know it's like, the, it's bad because of like, the whole system. But a lot of like, native tick or not TikTok, native Twitter, and like, um, a lot of like, indigenous Mexicans online would like say, oh, you know, like, mestizos swear they're indigenous. And they always made like a difference between um, white Latinos and like, mestizos and mestizas. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, Clearly, I fit into the mestiza category, and I ended up, when I was, like, 24, 25, doing a 23andMe DNA test, Mm -hmm. um, just because I I feel like those were popular at the time, and I posted my results online on uh, YouTube, and everyone in the comments like, oh, yeah, you're just a perfect 50-50 mestiza, because I was, like, when I did it, I was, like, well, it's probably going to be white, right? Like, because most Mexicans, like, who were kind of, like, far from their roots are like Spanish because you know the basic history of like the colonization and stuff and so I expected it to just be like Spain and like a sprinkle of something but it was like 47% uh, like European from Spain and Portugal and then or Iberian Peninsula and then it said like 47% indigenous Mexico and I was like what because that seemed pretty high for someone so far back like yeah, my dad's from Mexico, but also he's, like, from really close to the border of Mexico. And so I was like, wait a minute. My mom is very much a white Latina. Like, if she's giving me anything, like, she's going to give me, like, all of, like, the European side. And then I'm like, well, what does that mean for my dad? So then I was confused. And all these, like, Latinos started saying, like, oh, yeah, you're a perfect mestiza. So I was like, okay, I guess that's what I am. And then I found out, like, recently that it's actually anti-indigenous to use that word i did not even know i that. did literally when i say recently within the last few months i found it. because on twitter everyone's just like using it like normally yeah and it's i get why it's like anti-indigenous because it's like if you're using it as like a, oh yeah i am better than you like the way i used to okay. think when i was little but to me it's a way to differentiate like i don't have any roots like i'm not like I was not raised native or anything yeah. like that. That's me just saying, like, I'm the direct product of colonization. Yeah. And I know blood quantum is, like, not a thing we go by. But even if you look at my blood quantum, like, 
I'm not just throwing things out there. I'm literally the direct result. I have two Mexican parents and if you look at my mom, I should have way more Spanish in me. Um, but I'm just like, that's just the result I got. And now I find out that's anti-indigenous. And then people started saying, I would just call yourself mixed. I'm like, in the US, if you call yourself mixed, they think you're talking about being biracial or being mixed with something and black. Yeah. I'm like, that typically. makes me try to say that when I say I'm mixed, it sounds like I'm trying to say that I'm I'm anything but white. Like, oh no, no, I'm special. Like I'm quote unquote exotic. I know. Mm. We can't use that. But it makes me sound like I'm trying to be one of those people. I'm like, no, mixed and biracial, that to me is like a biracial black person or like an Asian and Mexican person. That's no. But that a lot of people from outside the US say to say you're mixed. And I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't translate the same way. So then I started getting more confused. Yeah, I'm really confused about my identity. Like on I know what it is, but then now it's like you kind of have to tiptoe because some things are like not okay to describe yourself as. Um and then you can't even bring up like your DNA test because it's like, oh, blood quantum is anti-indigenous, which I totally get. But I'm also like not trying to claim that I'm indigenous. Now I have people being like, oh, well, you're indigenous. And I'm like, no, because then that makes it seem like every Mexican is indigenous when we actually have like, like my friend who's babysitting, her husband is, um, Oh my god, his family speaks what is it, Nahuatl? Yeah. Yeah. They speak that they're no from way. Chicago and but his family's from Mexico and they're not just like my kind of regular watered down Mexicans. Like it's alive and well over there, yeah. but I know like in Mexico they try to make it seem like it's not and it's a thing of the past. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm just trying to tell people that I'm not trying to claim something that I'm not. Yeah, so it's really confusing. And then a lot of times I know recently it's like if you're not black you're white like because I'm on like black Twitter and stuff and a lot of people will be like well if you're not black you might as well be white which I get that because I still have privilege like yeah even just well right now I have fake tan on (laughs) but like even just being light skin even just having like pretty privilege having no accent like no indication of speaking Spanish or anything I have so many privileges Mm -hmm. and you know my whole life it's if I'd be like Okay, you know I'm Mexican too. Well, you're different. You're different, right? Um, but also, like, my experience wasn't white. Like, I totally get my experience was nothing of like being a black person. But I was still always othered. Like, mm-hmm. I was still like, yeah, you could hang out with white people, but you're not gonna be taken seriously. Like, I always had crushes on white boys and mm-hmm. wanted to date white boys. I didn't date in high school, not because I didn't want to. But because white guys don't take us seriously. They fetishize us, but they won't marry us. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like, not all. My husband's white. But I'm saying, like, from experience, the American dream, especially, like, if you grew up in, like, a white suburb where it's very, like, Republican, the American dream is to marry a blonde white woman and have, like, your white children. Yes, they will hook up with us. They are attracted to us. But they don't take it seriously. And so I don't know if you've seen Euphoria, but like the whole Maddie versus Cassie thing on Euphoria, have you heard about all that? So I've seen the first season, but I haven't seen the second season just because I'm, I have really mixed feelings about what they're portraying at their age. So that's why I haven't, but I'm aware of Maddie and Cass, Cassie and the 
Yeah. Okay. So like that whole thing, like I felt strongly about their dynamic because it was like Nate dated Maddie. Maddie was like, you know, the hottest girl in the school or whatever. But then he started to see like a future with Cassie and all this stuff. And I was like, dude, that shit is so real. Like that's probably mm-hmm. the most realistic part of the show is that like, cause Maddie wasn't raising, you know, her town is mostly like white kids. Of mm-hmm. course it's like di- diverse, but it's majority white. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a heartbreak that a lot of us face is being okay to, like, hang around the white kids or whatever and, like, you know, hook up and flirt with them. But then when it comes down to it, we're not taken seriously by white men and white people. And so, um, yeah, so I'm not white. Like, I, even if I'm light-skinned or whatever and I'm half European um, by blood, I've never just gotten to be white. Like, even Italians, yeah. you know, who are, like, strong, hardcore Italians, like, in my town, they're, they have the white experience. Yeah. They're rich. They're privileged. They're treated as white, but it's cool to be Italian because Italians are, you know, the cool Europeans, and most Italians are conservative because they, you know, they wanted the American dream. Um, most Italians have been extremely racist to Mexicans. Like, the number one people we have issues with are usually Italians. Like, they're the first to be screaming, build the wall. And then, really? yeah, and then have their bachelor party in Mexico wearing all their Trump stuff, which actually happened with someone I went to high school with. So, Oof. you guys know who you are. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I completely understand, you know, if you're not white or if you're not black, you're white, but. There is still room for a lot of us to just be like, hold on, don't lump me in with white people. I know just because now it's everything is like, you know, you're light skinned, you might as well be white. I'm like, no, they don't want me. If they see me walking down the street and they're racist, they're going to feel the same way as if they see like a straight up like brown Mexican person walking down the street like I'm the same in their eyes and when it gets down to it if an argument happens they could be cool with me if an argument happens the racism always pops out too mm. and yeah so yeah it's it's really confusing I understand my privileges and like I'm not one of those people who because like I said my husband's white so my kids are white I don't tell people like oh my kid you know you're Mexican you're Mexican like they know their family's Mexican but if you look at my kids they're white like medium brown hair freckles i and i tell them like you're white but then they love to like hear about like their family and oh your dad speaks spanish that's so cool you grew up in a spanish place i'm like i didn't grow up in a spanish place but yeah okay wow there was so much on there that like i know i don't no 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 (laughs) no it's totally fine um there's so much i swear it's only because i'm on adderall that i'm able to kind of like track back into stuff but there was so much that you said on there that i'm just gonna go off of what i wrote yeah (laughs) so one of the things you said about the beauty standard i again teenager in idaho the beauty standard tall skinny white girl and i i have hips and i was made fun of for having (laughs) hips i remember and it was a friend one time um i was sitting down and i was already self-conscious about my body i mean teenager so who isn't and we were on a computer or doing something and she goes over and she's like wow you have big legs and mind you she was bigger than me yeah so that really fucked with my head even more Mm. i'm like oh shit and i remember being self-conscious about my legs before then and even to this day i still struggle with it but it's like now it's the thing a lot of features that we have, it's the thing 
now i was like you work for that booty bitch this is natural my mama gave this to me but that really stuck with me when you said that because i never felt that i was pretty because everyone around me felt had their idea mm -hmm. and so to me i'm like okay well that's not me so yeah. okay i guess i'm not i remember this one kid he was like oh yeah that girl she has the same sweater as you <laughs> she's hot and i was like She's not. Oh my god. <laughs> I, mean, no. I did not think she was, but I was like, okay, you're the standard, anyways. <laughs> also, like the beauty standards were crazy, but the standard for white girls is Ooh. the bar is lower. Mm. Because like this, I know it's like, oh, everyone's beautiful. You don't think everyone's beautiful. It's nice to see on the internet and like you're a terrible person if you're gonna go around judging people because you don't think they're beautiful in your eyes, of course, or mistreating them. But like with white guys and white boys like growing up, they'll be like, oh, that girl's so hot. And I look at them now, I'm like, no, they're not. Like they're <laughs> either they're ugly or they're just plain Jane. And like, okay, Jennifer Aniston, I know everyone loves her, but to me, she's so plain Jane in the face. Oh my gosh. And people are like, oh, she's the hottest. First of all, she's never had kids. So she is going to remain nice and fit and tight. Second of all, she's rich. Of course, she has all the resources. Third of all, she's beautiful, but I don't think she's as beautiful as everyone has made her out to be. And the thing is, they're like, she doesn't age. I'm like, what do you mean? She just looked older than her age when she started. So people think she has an age because she did look more mature in the face. Yeah. Like she had thinner lips, you know, like a longer face. She looked like she had already aged, which helped her. There's nothing wrong with that. It helped her out when she did age. And it was like, well, there's not much of a difference now. Yeah. Whereas someone like, um, oh my God, Angelina Jolie had a, like a puffier, more youthful face when she was younger. And then as she got older, her cheekbones started being more defined. And you can tell she yeah. clearly aged. And then with pregnancies and stuff. But um, a lot of the times, like the girls that were like so hot in school were just blonde with blue eyes and super stick thin skinny and I look back and I'm like not to be cocky not like I'm the most beautiful person in the world but I'm like I'm prettier and I was prettier than all those girls I just was in the beauty standard yeah. and when I started to get the most like attention from guys even from like all the white boys and everything and when my confidence grew was in high school mm -hmm. because Keeping Up the Kardashians had just premiered Ooh. right before my freshman year of high school and you know I Back then, we wore skinny jeans, and the goal was to be like a size zero or a double zero. We wore Hollister. Jeans. Yes, Hollister. I'm but that's when like Eagle. the skinny jeans were like supposed to be like stick skinny. Yeah. Like everyone, a lot of people were seen, or if you're preppy, you're um, Hollister, American Eagle, Abercrombie, and like no one was above like a size one. If you had got like I had gotten to a three my freshman year, and I was like, oh my god. But like I ha always had thighs, like you said, and I was so insecure in my thighs because. They would rub and make holes in mm -hmm. my jeans too and it stressed me out like but then and i had like a butt but like having a butt wasn't like a cool thing no. it was just like i knew i had butt because like my mom and like my well like my family is like oh you got a booty or whatever yeah <laughs> but it wasn't like in society a, a big thing and then you know freshman year came along keeping the kardashians came out and i finally felt like everyone is giving this woman hype who not looks like me, but like has dark brown eyes, has naturally dark brown hair, has like eyebrows that need to get uh, threaded and has a booty. And I was just like, holy shit, like I can just tap into this. And I did and like my family, big, like, oh, the Kim K. And 
Like I was a I was a whore in high school. Like <laughs> as you know, I got older. At least by the time I was eighteen, um, and like I was known for having like a big butt. Mm-hmm. I looking back, I'm like, oh my god, it's like an average, you know, like Latina butt. But I went to an all-white school, and it was just like, and then I would purposely wear dresses that were like form-fitting, <laughs> and so like. People be like, oh, damn, Priscilla has, like, a nice ass and stuff. And that's when, you know, having a big butt was starting to get mm-hmm. big. And so I know people hate the Kardashians, but, oh, my God. Like, I still have, like, so much nostalgia and so much, like, a place in my heart for Kim just because she literally broke the Paris Hilton beauty standard. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. And they started out, you know, she was on the scene with Paris Hilton being the exact opposite of yeah. what Paris Hilton looked like. And it jumped from, like, the Paris Hilton beauty standard to the Kim Kardashian beauty standard. And, of course, before the BBLs came in, it was amazing for me. Because, you know, I was fat. Like, I had an eating disorder Mm -hmm. in high school because I was known as fat because I was in a size zero. And what's funny is I ranged from 130 to 140 when I graduated high school. I'm 137 right now after having three babies. And... No one is like, oh, you fat bitch or anything. And nothing has changed except for 11 years almost and beauty standards. Damn. Mm-hmm. There's so much on there. Oh, my God. So I never had an eating disorder diagnosed, mm-hmm. but I did have really bad eating habits that are definitely linked to mental illness. Um, and I do remember, and part of me wonders, had I not lived those teen years in Idaho, not been around so many white people, would that have affected me? Because I would look at my ass all the time and be like, you're fat, you have thick ass legs, this and that. And like, I I wasn't. Like, I look at pictures of me back then, I was like, I'm just curvy. That's mm-hmm. it. But it's it just, you saying what you're saying, it's just making me kind of pinpoint little, or like connect the dots in my head that I never really realized that I had. And I had no idea. Actually, no, did I know that Kim K was the one that really started? I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. Um, <laughs> well, she came on the scene, like, the show aired, I think, in 2007. Yeah. And you think, like, Paris Hilton's reign kind of ended around 2007, 2008. And that's when, like, everyone, everyone was obsessed with... No one disliked Kim Kardashian when she first came out. Yeah. You know, the show got so huge because everyone fell in love with her. Like, her beauty, the Playboy... Um, shoot she did like my dad had that as a magazine (laughs) and we were all like rooting for her like oh my gosh she looks so great and it was just as a collective everyone all the white people in my town like everyone thought kim kardashian was so hot and so that kind of like shifted the beauty standard and it kind of like got a lot of boys who would never look at me before to kind of just like oh suddenly they were attracted to me suddenly i had a glow up and it was just their i feel like it was their mindset um, also, you were saying if you weren't in Idaho, maybe you would have had like a different view of yourself. And I believe that because when I moved to Long Beach, like and was living around my friend's family after high school, I loved being around their family because they were like traditional Mexican. But you know what? They were always like, Flaquita, Flaquita. They called me Flaca. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like 145 pounds. What do you mean Flaca? Yeah. But like. You know, there was a lot more, like, room for, like, there was just more grace given. It was, like, um, yeah, I was, like, known as a skinny girl. But in high school and in my town, I just felt so huge. Even though, like, 
that was just an average size because I was next to the double zeros. And this is like problematic to say, but in my mind, I was just thinking the other day, like it was a blessing in disguise for me to have been 130, 140 pounds in high school because 10 years later, I'm still at that range and I don't feel like I've let myself go. Whereas people who were like double zeros because that's like a kid's body, a teenager body. And they've had kids since then. They're now my size. And to them probably feels like, oh my gosh, I've let myself go. Mm. Like I've blown up or anything like that. I don't know. Maybe some of them are happy about it, but I feel like it would have been really bad for me to have like had you know, gained a lot of weight after high school, um, after dealing with all that. And I think it just goes to go with the power of an eating disorder. Yeah, that too. That's just the power like, of an eating disorder that's making you think that. I was just like, yeah, and I had an eating disorder, but the thing is, like, I wasn't even skinny. Like, I remember yeah. my husband, because with bulimia, you don't really get skinny. Yeah. And so I remember my husband, it's so bad, but, like, he was, when I first told him that I had an eating disorder in high school, he was like, were you bad at it? And I, like, I laughed. I laughed so hard. No. Because, because like my body was normal. Like it was like how I look now, but just without the extra like you know skin from like having babies and stuff. But my face was really puffy. And then one of my other friends who had also had an eating disorder, but I didn't know her until later in life. She was like, "Yeah, my face. I had a moon face because like when you have bulimia, like your face swells up." And I was like, "Oh, that makes sense." And um, oh my gosh, there was one thing I was gonna say about that. Yeah, I don't remember. Okay, I was like, it was not going to come back. There's something that I really want to touch base on that I did not realize until just now. So I have an ex that I don't say his name because he's a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so the ex, um, this one time he told me, I I love that you're Mexican. And I was like, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And he always had an admiration for Mexicans, Latinos, because he he was like, oh, yeah, they're hard workers, la, 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 this and that. But when it came to, like, other races, he would say some racist shit. Yeah. And I was like the fuck so i was really confused by it i was like you love mexicans but you this was like six years ago or something like that and um i never realized and he was a white boy mm-hmm. he he hated saying that he was a white boy because he's like no my my grandparents are full 100 percent this and that i'm like bro you're white yeah you're you're you're, you're european he's but you're italian, you're white right? uh, yes italian irish um portuguese and mm-hmm. Armenian. Basically, it's like, he's he's yeah. a white boy. I was like, you you are a white boy. And I never really, that's just like going ding, ding, ding in my head. I was like, oh my God. I think he fetishized me. Yeah. Hold on. And I had no fucking idea. I was like, oh my God. Um, and then like the whole never being taken serious by white men. I was like, I never, that never crossed my mind. Yeah. That never fucking crossed my mind. Um, there's one other thing. It said the way that you speak. So I never real, I never, I never considered it whitewash because mm-hmm. I think that you and I speak the same. I guess yeah. I don't know, but I never thought of it as whitewashed. So I used to kind of get mad when like my cousins would say, "Oh, you're whitewashed and stuff," because a lot of it it wasn't like I was rude to them or mean to them or whatever. Like yeah. I had, my dad had the most money out of his siblings uh, at a certain point. And so Uncle Danny's house was like the cool place to go to and mm-hmm. all my cousins loved him because like he would spoil them and stuff. And for some reason it kind of, because I, my dad very clearly made it known that like I was his favorite child. Like I was his only daughter. I was precious. Like he literally called me like precious. Mm-hmm. Uh, not from that movie, from like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it was a joke, but he's like, oh my oh, gosh, my precious. And um, they kind of like resented me. Mm-hmm. Also because 
most of those cousins didn't have their dad around. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they just had, like, a struggling, like, single mom and stuff. So it was, like, a lot of resentment. And then they would just be like, oh, yeah, you're whitewashed. And I would get mad. I'd be like, no. I just speak clearly. And, like, I take school seriously. I learn, you know, proper grammar and spelling. And this is how I'm supposed to speak. Yeah. If I'm going to speak another language, of course, I'll use the accent for that language but I would get so mad to be like this is how you speak when you're educated and that's so problematic to say now knowing but I didn't know that like I mean just speaking normally without any kind of influence meant that you were whitewashed yeah, dead. yeah because I'm sure like someone from a strictly Spanish speaking uh family who knows Spanish as well could go into this and did and like they would be in the same class as me and they had accents when they spoke English, but they're learning the same thing. They're not going to pick up the teacher's, like, white accent. So, uh, Also, my mom did sound whitewashed, too. You also have been speaking English from a very young age. Yeah. And my sister is the oldest. I'm the middle child. So she, we only spoke Spanish. So she, I don't even know how she struggled with this. Um, hopefully, Ale, tell me later. <laughs> she listens to this. Um so she had to learn it first, and I, she doesn't have an accent to this day, or at least I don't think so. I don't think other people have said that. Yeah. Um, but then since she's a couple years older than me, I started learning from her. And so when I went into school, I mean, I was in kindergarten. I started learning English from a very young age. So it makes sense to me in my position Yeah. that I would not have an accent since I was speaking it from such a young age, whereas a lot of other people usually don't speak until they're older or something like that really depending on the situation so I think that also has to do with it is Mm -hmm. we're both younger yeah and um honestly like unless I had a consistently like bilingual English teacher all throughout my formative years Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I would have like a Spanish accent like there's you know generally in Southern California people sound like me Mm -hmm. unless they speak multiple languages um and oh I totally forgot what I was about to say but oh my thing was always like no I just enunciate and then I was in like choir in middle school and high school and Mm -hmm. like enunciation enunciating was like a thing like you had to do so and then valley girl you know southern Californians we speak with every little syllable I'm from the bay yeah don't hate that because you're from SoCal. No, <laughs> what's so funny is like I see on TikTok every time like a fun video with like someone's like, oh yeah, from the Bay. Like people in the comments would be, like, you know, the Bay Area people will joke about LA or whatever, and people in the comments would be like, oh my god, always bringing up LA. Like there's a beef, but I'm like, I don't understand. There's, I don't the get beef. the beef because I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, the Bay gives us so much credit. Not like they give us credit like we have street cred because of the bay existing like we can't dance like you guys up there like i can't dance at all I can't dance. i'm like oh my god the bay is like the best music in california because southern california like we have our space we are you know west coast like gangster rap that's my shit that's what i grew up on mm-hmm. but like i don't even have to know the bay area artist to love their music mm-hmm. you could just play any music from the bay and i'm like oh my god this is so yeah. fucking good so I don't get the beef. I think we should just have beef with like Sen Cal. Or I something, have a question. You know, little... Do you know what a ghost ride the whip is? Yeah, I did not know that until 
a couple years ago. No. Because, yes. And I felt so embarrassed because I moved to Idaho by the time that that happened. Yeah. So I literally did not know about it until a couple of years ago. And so one of my friends, um, they all grew up in the Bay and stayed in the Bay. And they're like, you know what that is? I'm like, no. Actually, I don't know who brought it, actually. But yeah, I was like, huge. are you kidding me? And so I felt really, I was like, oh, I felt a lot of place. And I feel like because I didn't live in Idaho during my formative years, I felt like maybe I had missed something about like mm -hmm. SoCal and NorCal because I was like, I don't understand the beef. And it's like, someone wants to hate me from like being from the Bay. I was like, I don't care. I no, don't like the, the beef was really like, obviously all those beefs start with like the gangs because, oh, you know, like the East Coast, West Coast, <laughs> like all those rappers were affiliated and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that's why that came in. But then also like, um, when I was in high school, I had a friend who moved from like the Bay and, you know, we would talk about her dad since her dad was like a cholo, my mm -hmm. dad was. And then, um, and I was like, yeah, cool, whatever. And she'd be like, yeah, your dad's a scrap. And I'm like, what? What the fuck is a and scrap? And so like, when you're a sureño, <laughs> that's uh -huh. what the norteños call them, like a scrap. Oh. Like they have beef with, yeah, with the sureños and the... And my dad was like, oh, I mean, it's not really a big deal. So I never got like the California beef at all like I, we always love like the bay like of course if someone's from the bay we're claiming them that's california yeah, regardless that's how i see it too yeah and so it's just kind of like i think younger generations especially like gen z cling to like online beef type of things more because they've had their you know lives ripped away from them their real lives ripped away from them so they hold on to like ideas more than like real life mm -hmm. and so yeah like god everyone in the bay can has better music and dances better <laughs> than us and like my two of my best friends that i made when i lived in hawaii they're both from the bay and i like oh, i love to see them dance and yeah hopefully there are no socal people that oh, come gosh. after you <laughs> i have as an adult i've had more beef with like socal people because of like trump and stuff mm. and it's taken over Orange County. Oh, no. Like, I used to grow up going to Huntington Beach, and now I'm like, I don't think I'll ever go to Huntington Beach because that's known as, like, you know, Trump County over there. And they're, even though he's not even around and, like, he was telling people to get vaccinated, like, they're still crazier than they were when he was in office. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, so... Um, actually, that's a good point. Like, I wrote down the army as I wanted to talk about oh, that. Yeah. So it seems like a good kind of, like, leeway in there. I don't know any, or not that I don't know, um, no one in my family that I'm aware of has ever gone into the army. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess I kind of wanted to talk about, like, why you went into the army and yeah, go just go from there. And how basically, I'm assuming that's what landed you in, in Washington? Yes. Okay, yeah. Talk so, about a little, that little yeah. ride there. So, um. When I was graduating high school, I knew my grades weren't great. I had initially, you know, my dream from middle school on was to go to um, go to a four-year university, and my dream school was USC, mm -hmm. University of Southern California. Like, my dad would buy me USC stuff. That was my goal, and I was supposed to be, like, the first person to go to a university in my family. Um, so I joined AVID. I don't know if you know that program. It was, like, a program for students who were like on the right path to go to college but who had parents who didn't attend college okay so it was supposed to help you throughout high school plan to go to college mm -hmm. we had a lot of family issues because like my parents had drug problems throughout my life and my dad was going through a bad divorce he and my ex-stepmom had a drug problem when i was in high school and so like 
I kind of just stopped caring about my studies. And I had undiagnosed ADHD. Mm. Being traditional Mexican. My dad didn't believe in going to the doctor. He didn't believe in mental health or anything like that. Um, when he found out that I used to, trigger warning, self-mutilate um, in high school, he was like, he was like, I cut a motherfucker before I cut myself. And like, he's he's so funny. Like, his intentions are there, but, you know, impact. Dad. Yeah. Um, and so when my mom wanted to get my little brother, because he was the obvious, like, ADHD kid. It was like, you know, the bad behavior, but he was really, really smart. Um, my dad was like, fuck no. Like, I, he doesn't need to be on medication. Your mom's just trying to, you know, whatever. So, of course, there was no reason to look at me because I did well in school. I was the typical, like, girl with ADHD who's like no she's not hyper yeah she's just a chatterbox but she's a social butterfly she gets her work done and I in elementary school I would finish my packets all on the first day of the week so I wouldn't have to worry about them so that's how my grades stayed there I would do well in school because like even though I'd procrastinate in my projects I could still get it done the night yeah. before it was due and then middle school came along yeah I had six classes all of a sudden and that's when my grades started to go down and I got like my first ever D. And then, you know, school had always been hard. So the dream for going to college wasn't really there anymore. If you mix undiagnosed ADHD and unmedicated with more family problems, like I just didn't give a fuck. Like there would be some days I didn't have my school books and I didn't care. Yeah. I barely made it to graduation. That was just because my mom like fought for me to walk on graduation day mm -hmm. and said like, hey, since she did an extra curricular or she did voluntary summer school her freshman year just to raise a d can you guys you know give her that credit yeah because i had failed uh english my senior year can you give her that credit and just let her keep the old d and they loved us so much because like i did have like a complete turnaround in high school they're like you know we'll do it go so i graduated right but i was you know i was supposed to go to a community college like everyone else yeah. and i went because i finally found like a stable home that I could live in. I lived with my Nina and my Theo and cousins in Yorba Linda in Orange County. And um, I started to go to school there with them. And um, I, I thought I was doing fine, but then everyone had caught wind of my eating disorder because my cousin, he was a senior in high school and he heard me throwing up one day when he came home from school, but I didn't know. So the family kind of had like an intervention and my mom was like, I can't let you go to school because I don't know if you're just going to leave class and like go throw up. So um, I dropped out of school just because she needed to watch over me. Mm -hmm. And then I lived with my mom until I was like 19. And I was like, dude, like I'm walking around trying to find jobs. Can't find a job. I, I don't have my license because that was another thing. It's like anytime I wanted to learn how to drive, my brother's only a year and three months older than me. It was like, mm -hmm. well, your brother has his license. You don't need to worry about it. And when it came time for me, I was living with my mom. She didn't have money. Her car was in the shop. You can't learn to drive unless you have a legit car you yeah. can practice on. And someone who can take you to the DMV. And, you know, you have to be legit on paper to yeah. do it. So I didn't have my license. And my mom was like, you know, are you going to join the Air Force? Because that's... That was supposed to be my backup. If I wasn't going to go to college, I'm like, I'll just join the Air Force because that's like the military, but it's like a girly one because it's more like business. You do your boot camp and then you kind of work like you're just in an office. Air Force was so packed because that's like, you know, the fancy mm -hmm. branch. 
they never responded to our calls. They were always closed when we showed up. So one day my mom was like, just walk into the army recruiter because it was like one strip mall and then they were all their doors were next yeah. to each other. The army recruiter was open and it was like a really nice big office. So we go in there, we talk to them and they're like, yeah, you can have like a little desk job. And um, it's 42 Alpha. It was just like human resources. And they were very accommodating. And I really just wanted a roof over my head because by that time, my mom had kicked me out multiple times. We did not get along. And I was tired of like couch surfing. I had gone uh, through some moments where like I was living on friends' couches. And I don't even think my parents know this because like they were in their own world. And I, I was just like, I need a fucking roof over my head and like money just so I can feed myself. That's yeah. it. Like, I don't care. I didn't have strong feelings about the military or anything. Like, and back then it wasn't a big thing. Like, everyone kind of respected people in the military, yeah. even if you were like a leftist. It was just whatever. Yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, this is survival. So I went through with it and it was fine. Like, I graduated basic training just fine. But then, um, that's when I was exposed exposed to like real racism, like just oh. in your face racism. Um, because one time like we were joking around during like feeding time. I don't know what it's called. When they fed us, <laughs> they bring like food out to us and they have other soldiers serve us. Like I joked that I was gonna steal a pancake, but I didn't do it. Like I didn't have anything in my hands, but then someone who was also Mexican behind me grabbed the pancake for real and I guess, like, people were arguing about it. And this one white guy, I think he's from, like, Arizona or something. Um, he was like, you dirty, thieving Mexican Espinosa. My uh, maiden name is Espinosa. I was just like, what? Like, it caught me off guard. I've been called a beaner before. Like, wow. I've been called a sick before. And I you can bleep that, that out. I me too. hate that Yeah. And, and I didn't know what that was until I was called it in high school. But, like, those didn't bother me as much as, like, blatant racism to me because you know when you're like the token mexican person sometimes like the slurs like were jokes that yeah. you just allowed your friends to like yeah. joke around with but this was someone who was legit mad at me and yeah i called me a dirty thief mexican i was crying about it and my my one of my battle buddies she was black and she was like oh that's not okay like and so she took me to go talk to the drill sergeant and um the drill sergeant's like espinoza why are you crying i was like drill sergeant like that's race like this is like blatant racism yeah. i'm not used to this i'm from california like i'm like it's diverse and it's not okay to like say things like at the time because yeah. trump was in office like you know like that was crazy to me and so they're like i don't care that's when they were like they lectured everyone they're like i don't care what skin color here in the army it's only uh green that's the only color we've seen and back then i was like oh wow that's a cool idea no, we're not colorblind. <laughs> we don't do colorblindness. I don't teach my kids that. Nothing like that. But so I joined the army. I mean, I got into the groove of it. And it's just what I had to survive. And I finally felt like, oh, my God, okay, I'm out of this, like, whole poverty cycle. I'm out of, like, wondering where my next meal is going to come from. And being, like, with my dad's background and everything, we started out poor. But my grandparents always did pretty well for themselves. And took care of us. And then my dad and my stepmom had gotten married. Eventually, they bought a beautiful house. My dad, I just found out, he was like, we were never poor when you lived with me. I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, until things started going downhill, I was making six figures a year. And I was like, huh? Back then? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, right before the whole recession happened of 2008 and stuff. I was yeah. like, 
What? He was like, yeah, my bills were just like $10,000 a month, but like you guys were kind of stingy with things. And it was like, no, ask your mom. Da, 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 da. He was like, he was like, no, we were not poor. I don't know what you think. And I, I just found this out like last year. Oh, wow. I was like, what? So I've experienced like them not having money. I experienced my dad having money and buying a $420,000 house. Mm-hmm. And then I experienced them losing it when like the recession happened and everyone lost their homes. We mm-hmm. lost our home. It was foreclosed on and stuff. And I was tired of like the ups and downs. So I just wanted my own stability. I was like, give me a little barracks room and a little paycheck to pay for food and I'm good. And that's what I did. And, you know, they kind of brainwash you in basic training. Not like, it's not what you think like, oh my God, you have to think this. They would do these like classes and they would, you know, show you videos and be like, private, they're gonna call you baby killers. I don't give a fuck if a kid comes up to me when I'm downrange, I'm shooting. You don't get to jump up on me. I got PTSD, like stuff like that. Like we're just like thinking things are jokes, but then, you know, it kind of radicalizes you in like the wrong direction. And um, so you have this sense of like uh, pride and you kind of like become like a nationalist, Um, low key. And so, like, I used to, would kind of be progressive, but I had a lot of, like, conservative views, especially because of where I was, like, raised. My dad didn't have, like, political views. Mm -hmm. Like, he was just, like, I'm just trying to get by, you know? Like, I don't really care. Um, But, you know, I'd hear friends and everyone at school talk, and so you just kind of go with them. And so I had, like, I was anti-abortion for myself Mm -hmm. when I was younger, and um, I didn't believe that gay marriage should be called marriage. They should have their own thing. I don't believe that. The the military. Yeah, it wasn't really the military. It's just like, because the military is conservative, as it is. And so, like, you're around nothing but conservatives. And so it kind of just makes sense to believe what's what's being taught to you. And I, like, even when an argument would come up, because I remember in 2013 or 2014, there was, like, a caravan or buses of, like, undocumented um people from Mexico coming to my hometown in Marietta. And a lot of people were talking shit about it. And I was like, um, if you've never served, you don't even get to have an opinion. Like I was arguing with racists, but I was like, you know, you're not in the military. You don't get to have an opinion about like what happens in this country. Like go do actually do something for your country and then try and talk shit about people coming here. Da, 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 da. Like I had weird views, but then slowly, as I started to experience, like, everyday life in the military, it made me, like, more progressive mm-hmm. because there were little things, like, you know, there's a dress code. It's, like, I forgot what it's called. But, you know, you have to wear your hair a certain way yeah. in uniform and stuff like that. And if I, if you were to have short hair, I could have my hair as short as yours and have it down where you have. There were different standards for black service members. No, It was, like certain protective hairstyles weren't allowed to be worn and if they were they had to like your bun couldn't be bigger than a certain size so it's like yeah you could have box braids but you need to be careful because if your bun is too big then you're going to get told it needs to be taken down like this it's been revised since then but this was 2013 2014 i witnessed one of my they call them battle buddies one of my battle buddies have to come back and not eat breakfast on time with everyone because she was told by a black NCO, like, your bun is too big. Like, you need to go back. She wore natural hair. She did not wear relaxers. And this was honestly, like, my first friend I had who embraced her natural hair. Because back then, no one was yeah. really doing, like, the natural hair. And 
she was like, I can't like tame it down. I'm not going to like destroy it and put a relaxer. And she would come back crying all the time because every day it was something new, depending on what sergeant saw her, they were going to tell her something different. And I was like, holy fuck, this is so unfair. I'm like, I get to just get a sock bun and do my hair and be done with it. And so I started to see like, you know, um, systemic racism, like in the work. And then, um, when I got into my unit, I was stationed in Germany for the first time. My coworker had just spent like a couple hundred dollars on, I think it was box braids at the time because it's expensive in Germany. And she's like, cool. I don't got to wear like my wigs. I don't got to worry about my hair. She comes to work that first day and our, it's called battalion XO. He was a major. So that's like pretty high up. Um, at least in our workplace, he was making comments about her hair being like too big in the bun. And she was so discouraged. She's like, I just don't want these fucking people telling me shit. So she went and cut them out like after a week of having them in. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is so unfair. And, um, then I had seen like another black soldier who she knew the policies because she had worked in like the legal offices. Mm -hmm. She had like, uh red hair no she had blonde hair Mm -hmm. and they would try and be like is that your natural hair color and she'd she'd pull out the um what is it the policy i don't remember what it's called but she'd pull it out and be like it says a natural hair color does not have to be mine like she i don't think she'd say this part but it's just like she probably want to say like all these white girls are naturally fucking brunettes who swear they're blondes it's not their natural hair color it's a natural hair color yeah so i started to see that stuff and then a lot of the sweeping under the rug with like SA and yeah, there's like a whole program because of it. It's called SHARP. It's like sexual harassment and R word like prevention or something like that. And we would have to get lectured on it and there's just so much to get swept under. And, you know, I've come forward and talked about like, hey, this NCO is being inappropriate with yeah. this soldier and they just get moved. To a different company they don't get kicked out of the army and so i was just like fuck this like uh-uh there's so much bs that goes on here there were literal r-word people who had careers they just kept getting moved because mm-hmm. yeah That's because the thing is setting. like when big news happens in the military they purposely are like you don't talk to the press like, it doesn't get out of the military. So, like, the Vanessa Guillen thing mm-hmm. that happened, that was huge. Mm-hmm. Because my husband is, I know, I'm like, I'm not someone who supports, like, the police or anything either. But my husband is a military police officer, and he'll tell you, like, I don't want to be one. My mom just told me that that's what her dad was, so that's the job I chose. Um, so, he's a military police officer, and there's so many crazy cases that I hear just from, like, talking to him. That the general public doesn't find out about, doesn't hear. Like, it doesn't make the yeah. news because it's just army news. Like, it, it happens on the base. And, yeah, it's really crazy. And so it opened my eyes to a lot of bullshit that mm-hmm. the military does and sweeps under the rug. And then, like, and so I really don't support the military. And people are like, oh, my God, support your lifestyle. I'm like, look, it is another form of welfare. They give you just enough so you don't qualify for government assistance, but too little to survive. Like you have to live paycheck to paycheck unless you have like other sources of income. And some people do live better than us because like my husband had a child from when he was in high school. So like he has to pay child support and stuff, of course, but that's, he's not paying a lot. Like it's not 
going to make us broke. You know, yeah. it's the paycheck itself that sucks is why you have to live paycheck to paycheck. So when I see people are like, oh, support our troops, you know, the VA, you know, we need more funding. Da, 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 da. I'm like, look, you can support your troops all you want. You can complain about taxpayer money. Taxpayer money goes to the military. The military budget is not is what's not going to the service members and their families and the veterans. It's going to dumb shit that we don't see. Like, there's always like, oh, yeah, we got a raise. Or there's a raise in BAH. BAH is your housing allowance. You're supposed to be able to, you know, they move you with the idea that, like, they're going to pay for where you live. They either don't want to do increases in that, even though everything is going up mm-hmm. in every area. Or um, they end up telling you, like, oh, it's BAH is not supposed to, like, pay for everything. And... Yeah, it is. Because how do you expect people to survive? There are soldiers who have had to, like, camp out at campsites because they're homeless here in Fort Lewis, Washington, JBLM, like, where I live. I'm sorry, say that one more time. Homeless service members who are active duty who get forced to move for their job, they're homeless because there's no housing on the base. And rent prices have gone up so much. And their argument for not raising... Uh, the basic ha- basic housing allowance is because they're just going to raise prices off base regardless, like landlords, which is true, and I get that. Something needs to happen to where they're either not allowed to do that and go off of the military yeah. uh, pay rates, or the military just needs to make the rates private so they are not allowed to see what we're getting paid for that, um, or give people cost of living allowance, which is what we had in Hawaii which is why we didn't struggle in Hawaii because compared to here, you would think we would struggle more because it's so expensive in Hawaii, but because it's an overseas duty station, they give you cost of living allowance so you can meet, you know, the cost of living Mm -hmm. out there. It's like your paycheck isn't going to go as far out there, but here is some extra money. So hopefully you can survive because the cost of living in Hawaii is so high. They started giving cost of living to certain states like in California and stuff which is great because they need that but they completely overlooked uh for joint base Lewis McCourts sorry <laughs> Fort Lewis they completely overlooked this area yeah. which is what needs it because right now only officers can comfortably be able to rent something off base people ask like why do you live on base I'm like because we would be paying out of pocket to live off base in a smaller apartment. Don't they give you an allowance for off base? Yeah, so... But it's very little. Every Yeah. Back in the day, it used to help out, like, you know, depending on what rank you are, it goes up higher. So, like, if you're a certain rank, you're able to, like, rent off base and you're fine. Uh-huh. So everyone gets the allowance based on their rank. And if you decide just to live on base you still get the allowance you just don't see it they just take it and give it to the base housing before it gets your paycheck okay so technically like my family we get it it just doesn't come to us it goes straight to the housing office okay um so it's cool which is honestly that's a good thing for someone like me with adhds i don't have to worry about one last thing yeah i don't have to worry about rent rent is covered before the paycheck comes into us okay um yeah, but they're they're just not raising prices. There are homeless soldiers. Um, how it is is like the longer you're in, the mm-hmm. higher rank you have. The higher rank, the more privileges you get, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to housing. Um, my husband has been in for ten years. He kind of slacked off, so he's only an E five. He he'll be an E six soon. We started off with a four bedroom no 
when I got in the army, I was in the barracks because we were both single. Mm-hmm. We met, we got pregnant, then we got married. We did everything backwards. Um, and then I had a two-bedroom apartment because it was just supposed to be me and my son at first. Mm-hmm. Then when we got married, we got a four-bedroom house on base. No issues. They gave us a four-bedroom house. Cool. Perfect. Holy shit. When we got to Hawaii, they gave us a three-bedroom house, but the square footage was bigger. Okay. It was a better house. It had a fenced-in yard, which is a first. Um, it was exa- like almost exactly like the houses I grew up in in Marietta, California. Perfect little suburb. Damn. We loved it. It was a three-bedroom, but we made it work because we only had two kids that lived with us. Then we moved here to Fort Lewis, which is just as expensive as Hawaii now, and we got into the housing like facebook group where everyone was talking about like the housing problems and they're saying like oh it's like a three-month wait to get into housing on base so that means you have to stay in a hotel use like the the housing allowance to pay for hotels you know just hope for the best and so when we got here we were in a hotel we were paying with our bah for the hotel and um they told us, okay, you only get to choose one housing or one neighborhood you want to move in, and you can't put your name on the wait list until you're, like, signed out from your old base. So basically, until you're here okay. at the new duty station in your hotel. Um, so we did, which is not something that normally happens. Usually, as soon as you get your orders telling you yeah. where to go, you can join the wait list. Okay. So we joined the wait list when we moved here, end of 2020, and um, they're like, all right, it's gonna be a, a 90 day you know it's it's a 90 day wait we'll we'll talk to you then okay. and we're like okay that's it and mind you like we were taking you know whatever we could get because it was gonna be a three-bedroom townhome with no backyard yeah but we wanted this area because they had a small dog limit and we're used to like having large dogs always get loose and like approach us and our kids and it's a non-smoking neighborhood we're like that's perfect for our family okay um, we were tired of being stuck in a hotel room and paying for the hotel room. And so we called them and asked if we could just settle for anything yeah. at the point. So then like within a week, we were given a townhome in that same neighborhood. Now we're at a two bedroom with no backyard, two kids. My kids are in bunk beds now. Like we had to go out and buy a bunk bed because my kids had their own rooms before. Yeah. It um, costs a lot of money to PCS, which is like permanent change of station, yeah, to go to a new duty station. The only reason we've ever been in debt was because of having to cover costs of moving for the army. Yeah, whether because they don't want to reimburse for certain things, they won't give you money for a rental car, even though they know that you like they pay for one car to be shipped to the next duty station if it's overseas. They know we don't have cars when we come. They don't provide rides for us to get to the base. Mind you, SeaTac is like 40 minutes yeah. from the base. They expect you to get there, but they don't provide any money for, yeah, a rental car. So we had to pay out of pocket for a rental car multiple times during the moving process. Yeah, don't believe your recruiter when they're saying that they're gonna pay for all this. There's so much that you have to pay for and just uprooting your family, period cost money yeah and it's something that they should pay for and they don't and we even put in a request to stay in hawaii longer because the pandemic was happening and we weren't ready and they wanted us to leave like last minute and they said no a pandemic is not a reason to stay and this was in the end of 2020 end of 2020 oh my god yeah they're like no (laughs) it's not like a real reason to stay it was horrible we're like you're literally losing out on money by 
paying for plane tickets to send us. You could just let us stay in the house that we're already renting. You don't have to send out movers, nothing. Yeah. And they they knew that there's no room at JBLM. Like, so we said like because of the housing crisis and JBLM and because of the pandemic, like it's just too much. It's a yeah. hardship on us. No, nope, we had to move and now my husband's just like, oh, I wanna stay here as long as possible so we don't have to go through all of that over again. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't, like, I'm not one of these, like, American flag-wearing people. My <laughs> husband and I are both very, like, leftist, as left as you can be while still receiving a paycheck from the military. Um, but if we didn't have to be in the military, we wouldn't. Like, we're not, like, patriotic in any way. Like, calling yourself a patriot, in my eyes, is embarrassing. <laughs> but I used to do it back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a means for survival. Like, I tell everyone, th- this is my welfare like, yeah. I was in the army, but I got out um, when I had my, after I had my son because there was just like a scare at the sitter. There was nothing proven that happened, but it just kind of like made me think like, okay, I don't want any accident to happen and yeah. have me wonder. Like, I'm so I decided to become a stay at home mom. Like, I got out of the army, which is one good thing that they do. If you are a parent and you're in the military and you don't have anyone to take care of mm-hmm. your child, if you were to have to leave for a week or whatever, mm-hmm. um, they will let you get out. No bad, nothing. And you have the opportunity to join again later in life if you need to join, you yeah. know, in the right circumstances. So I technically could go back if I wanted to. I don't. I love being a civilian um, <laughs> and doing whatever I want. I love not having to delete my Twitter or TikTok every time they get mad at something. Really? I've had to do that before. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So I got out and I've been a stay-at-home mom since 2015 because... I wanted to make sure that no one had access to my kids uh, more than I did and that if anything were to happen, they could tell me. Like, mm-hmm. if God forbid anything happened, like you know about my mom's situation, I don't trust people with my kids like that. And my friend who's watching them, she's the same way. And I've been friends with her. Like, I met her back in Hawaii and stuff. Yeah, so we just, he is in the military and... He's supposed to be staying in for 20 years unless he finds a better option because we could use food stamps at this point, but on paper, we make too much for it. Get it? And so, like, it's just, it keeps you, it keeps you, you know, drowning. It, you know, one hand on top of your head keeping you underwater. Um, And so, if I figure something else out, then hopefully he can get out and we can move back to California. But this is the reality, especially nowadays when COVID happened and everyone lost their jobs. Yeah. I was like reluctantly like grateful yeah. for his job because military is going to get paid. Yeah. You know, it's hard to get kicked out, unfortunately. But then fortunately, if you're just someone who's just doing what you're supposed to do, it it's fine. Oof. Yeah. So you are the second person that I've talked to, or third person um, that I've talked to about joining the army. Mm-hmm. One of them is a coworker who turned into my friend, and very similar situation where he said, "I joined the the military as a forms of survival mm-hmm. because," and he said, "It's like it wasn't until I was pretty high up that I actually got out of poverty." Yeah. Like this dude, he was a green beret. And so, like, it's, it's it. he said it took him a while before he reached, got out of poverty. And I said, I hate that you that was your only option yeah. because that's that's not a way to live. That's not that like 
that having to be your choice, I, I, I just hate that that would be someone's only option. And, and you're mm-hmm. you're two people that I know of out of how many yeah. in the world, or like you know that have to have to do that. Like ah, that was my husband I feel too. For you, he's I, from like rural uh, Tennessee, and I mean, there's nothing out there. Like you either you live off of a check from the government if you can get like a disability check like Mm -hmm. most people in his family or you work at Walmart um or which is it's not like oh my you work at Walmart like that's a legit like that's their biggest business yeah where he's from you work at Walmart or you join the military and so he just needed to get out of that cycle join the military his mom was like I wanted him to see the world like I didn't want him to like just get stuck here like I did and his first duty station was Germany. Like, he was very sheltered, not because, like, his parents made him that way. It was just he was poor and from a poor part of the world yeah. or of the country. And um, this is what he had to do. And so, like, it's sad that, like, he is, like, more successful than most people in his family. He is he's going to college right now, like, via online classes mm-hmm. because the military is paying for his tuition. And he shouldn't have had to do that. But also what sucks is, like, even if we didn't have to do that, I'm still low-key glad because I don't have student loan debt. Like, I never went back to college. Yeah. I have a partial, um, what is it called, uh, post-9-11, what is it called? I don't know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I forgot what it's called. But it's the thing that people join the military so they can get um, the tuition assistance or whatever, like, where they... You can pass it on to your kids. It pays for college. I forgot what it's called. Oh, GI Bill. Okay. okay. Yeah, so I have a partial GI Bill because I didn't finish my contract. Um, But, like, if I were to want to go to, like, hair school or something, it would – it's enough to cover that. Okay. And it'll pay trade schools. But I just have – like, with my ADHD, you know, it's hard to really know you're going to do something and finish it. So um, (laughs) I just – and too scared to touch it. And I'm like, what? it could help my kids in the future, whatever. But my husband, yeah. Um, I Everyone's like, oh, my God, like, I have this great job, but my, my student loans, I'll never get out of it. I'm like, that's one headache that I don't have. Even though, like, because a lot of people, they're like, I don't use my degree. I became an influencer or whatever. Like, right now, I have a part-time job with a surrogacy agency because I was a surrogate mother um, back in 2019. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that helps me pay my car note and everything, and it helps me stay home with my kids. But my dream career is to be, like, a content creator on, I mean, I guess on TikTok right now. That's what I put most of my focus in. Um, so, like, that's my dream is to be, like, an influencer content creator. Um, my part-time job that I do for the service agency is, like, creating content anyway like so I do their reels I do TikToks oh, that's cool I do YouTube so like that's just the field I want to be in yeah and even though like there are some people who are like huge content creators who like didn't have to use a degree after all they still have student loans that have to pay off like Megan the Stallion has a whole career and she was paying her student loans and I think she had mentioned that like her school's all paid off now and stuff. I didn't know that yeah that's... and it's like that's just one less headache for me. Like, so I'm just hoping like I can make it with something yeah. that doesn't require a degree. Um, I wanted to go off and talk about a little bit more about mental illness. You already explained a little bit about how your parents were and that's super common. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to get into that and like 
how was it managing it for you? Like, is it only ADHD, whatever you're comfortable saying, yeah. but like, is it only ADHD that you that you struggle with? Because ADHD is like brings on anxiety and depression yes. and all this. <laughs> okay, and that's exactly what I was gonna say. Like, so, God, I have been, we jokingly call me Ansiedad. Ansiedad? Yeah, because okay. like, I have, well, do you, have you ever seen that movie? I forgot what it's called, but with, um, I think it's Ava Mendez, and she was like an irresponsible, like young teen mom, and she had a daughter, and her daughter's name was Ansiedad, and she's like, you have a beautiful name. She's like, it means anxiety. My friend, oh my, my mom, and I like jokingly call me that, because like, ever since I was little, I've just had anxiety about everything yeah. all the time. Like, worst case scenario pops in, into my head, like, Ooh. my mom... Um, hasn't picked me up from my dad's house yet. She died in a car accident. I was like the parentified child, like not on purpose. Mm-hmm. It was just like I've I'm a Virgo moon, so I'm a stress case. <laughs> um and I'm like judgmental about like making the wrong choice and stuff. So like I've always kind of like judged my mom for being like a teen mom. Not because she was a teen mom, but because she never like became mature enough to like mm. get out of like that pattern. She just kept having kids and she just kept making the wrong choices. Um, and so, like, she was always late all the time. And I was, like, five years old, like, stress case about her being late all the time. Wow. And then I would just, you know, she died. And that was a big fear of mine is that my mom would die and whatever. And I've never not been, like, depressed. Like, I've always thought about, like, okay, if I die or, like, I hate my life, I wish I could die. Like, when I was little and then I've always had anxiety and when I was like 15, my mom took me to um, talk to like a counselor about it. And um, I just was like, anytime something would go wrong in my life or it just wouldn't go right, like, yeah. oh my God, I'm worst case scenario. Like I wanna trigger warning, like unalive myself. And, um, but I never really wanted to. I just like wanted things to be like over, like in normal. Then like, you know, anxiety and stress would all pile up and I eventually, when I was like in sixth grade, I started to like try mutilation, like with a mechanical pencil, oh. like dig it hard enough. Yeah, dramatic. And then in high school, I legit actually started doing that to like my wrists and stuff. And that was like a problem in my family. And my dad joked like, why? And then I'd be like, well, I'm fat. You know, I was dealing with like um, eating disorder because the kids around me pushed it on me. Like I, it was always a joke about me having like a panza mm-hmm. in my family, and then like just the white kids. You know, I'm fat, even though I wasn't. I was just standing next to like the tiniest person, jumping like Khloe Kardashian. I watched the old episode. She's not big at all. She's just next to ninety pound Courtney Kardashian. Um, okay, so <laughs> yeah, so I was stressed about that, and you know, I'd self harm. And I had a lot of depression and anxiety and I got medicated for it, you know, like Prozac and Zoloft. And I, I'm pretty sure I had postpartum depression. Like, so depression had, you know, subsided as I got older, felt a little bit more accomplished, like around my twenties, like I was in the army, there wasn't anything to be depressed about. And then I just had traumatic experiences during my first pregnancy. I had problems with my now husband, we're fine now, but like there was just a lot going on. And um, with my second baby, I had had her 18, no, 15 months after my first child was born. So like I got pregnant on purpose when he was six months old Mm -hmm. because I wanted them as close as my older brother and I are. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that like postpartum can kind of like roll over. Like 
my son was only six months old and I was getting pregnant again. Mm-hmm. And I started to feel these like weird feelings during that second pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And looking back, I'm like, that was probably postpartum depression. Like I probably shouldn't have gotten pregnant. Um, and I went, I was really honest with my doctor after I had my daughter and I went to that checkup. Mm-hmm. They asked, you know, to fill out the survey. I filled out honestly. They're like, okay, you scored this. And I just burst into tears. And they're or because they were like, would you be open to like talking to someone and t- taking medication? I was like, yeah, please. Because <laughs> I was also breastfeeding for the first time, yeah. and like breastfeeding takes a toll on you and like mentally too. It's just it's a lot all at once. So I, I had postpartum depression, and then I stopped taking my medication because I felt like it was making me gain weight because I was on Zoloft, and it made me very sleepy. Mm. And I like ADHD. We cannot be tired. Like what? No. My kids were a few years old. I was about 24 or 25. I went to the doctor because I'm like, I know. Like, I'm like, I thought I had bipolar disorder for the longest time. I'm like, I know I have bipolar disorder. Or I'm like, well, maybe ADHD because my mom had ADHD. She had just found out that the reason she was on speed and meth um, recreationally was because she was self-medicating because she was undiagnosed. Because she always said, like, I never felt like I was on drugs. I felt like I was a normal person just wow. with coffee in my system or something. Okay. And so her therapist was like, yeah, undiagnosed ADHD. And then my little sister, who's 10 years younger than me, she was the first kid in my family to get diagnosed with ADHD because her teacher had concerns. And she got medicated very young. She got on Concerta. But there was a huge change in her personality and in her schoolwork. And she's actually the one who, the first like college acceptance kid in my family. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, that must've had something to do with it because you didn't have to worry about keeping up with all these classes like oh, I did and yeah. what's going on, right? <laughs> so then, you know, I asked my doctor about it and we were talking and I was like, when I was in the army and I had an office job, my sergeant, put my desk in the very front of the office facing the door so I could just greet people when they come in. And so I wouldn't be as distracted. Like if people in the office were having conversation, I would have to turn all the way around to join. Like they try to have me do my own thing because it got so bad to where like, they just be like, okay, Espinosa, here, do this one task. This is your only task for the entire day. I don't (laughs) care how long it takes. Just get this one done. Because I could not do multiple tasks. And I thought it was, my pregnancy and we I was just like everyone's like you're so ADHD you're so ADHD so my doctor was just like yeah like do you plan on starting school or getting a job or whatever I was like yeah and I I just know I can't start something new unless something changes so I got put on Concerta it's time release and my life changed oh my god my life changed literally like I had I had marriage problems in the beginning of my marriage really quickly touching on like I wasn't uh with the army I wasn't like oh my God, like I, this is what I want to do in life. But I kind of like forced myself to also like be like patriotic about it and like make it like my whole personality because um, going through basic training and like joining the army is like, it's easy looking back, but Mm -hmm. like when you're going through it and you've never done anything like physical, I've never shot a weapon. Like I've never used a weapon or anything. Like I, you have to pass at the range, like with your rifle and everything. And you have to pass physical fitness tests. Like, that was a huge thing for me and I was so proud to graduate basic training and do the schooling for my job because it was the first thing I had completely finished 
from start to finish. Like there were a lot of hurdles where even just in signing up and listing, I had to lose a few pounds. I had to come back because I had um, like, what is it? Scoliosis, like slight scoliosis. I had to keep coming back for appointments and do the whole thing without a driver's license or anything like that. Like I had to stick to it. And I was so proud because I was finally, I had finally completed something without having to put it on hold and go back to it. And so that was like huge for me. And then I was finally medicated years later and everything had started to get better. Like my husband was being medicated because he was diagnosed with ADHD as a kid and boys, it's easier Mm -hmm. for them, like whatever. I was getting stuff done. I was, you know, being a better mom with my kids. I was being more present, like with my my son at school, I was very into like his schoolwork because he had to start school earlier because he was in the special education program for his speech delay. And that was a lot on me because I had to go to so many appointments and mm-hmm. do so much paperwork, but I got it done every time. And it was huge for me. And um, like being medicated just made me feel normal. It didn't make me feel like I was on drugs because I'm so like for anyone else it's fine but like for me personally I've always been so anti-drug use just because when my mom's addiction ruined my life like I lost my mom my dad got custody of me when I was seven years old because my mom was a drug addict and then when things went downhill for my dad when I was a teenager I was 16 years old my mom got custody of me because my dad ended up being a drug addict And I'm like, oh, my God, like no drugs. My brothers and I promised each other. My brothers didn't keep the promise. (laughs) I kept the promise. And I was known for like not I I smoked weed like five times in high school. But like I was such a square. Mm -hmm. But and so it was scary, the idea of like taking a controlled substance. But it worked for me. And I was like, oh, my God, like it kind of replaced my coffee addiction. I still love coffee for the taste. But it's like it's like I just had my (laughs) cup of coffee for the day. And I'm just up here with everyone else instead of sluggish and so yeah like it just did a lot for me and um I started like make living my life intentionally after that because I didn't feel like okay I'm just gonna fail at anything so the next thing that I did when I was 26 was uh oh well before I say that (laughs) so what I realized after getting off Zoloft for like depression and stuff and getting on my ADHD medicine was I don't think I had anxiety and depression. I had undiagnosed ADHD and unmedicated, and it was causing the depression because of all these lows because I felt sluggish. It was causing like almost like the manic episodes that I thought were manic episodes, but it was just like, oh my gosh, I'm on my little ADHD spurt right now. And that's why my dad would like be getting ready for work at six in the morning and I would still be up doing some arts and crafts thing like in middle school in my room. Like I was a good kid, but I would just like be bored all day and then come up with an idea at night. And wait, I thought I was bipolar. Part of that was because Demi Lovato had a lot of the same stuff that they went through and they were diagnosed bipolar. And now it's funny because now they're like, I don't think I was bipolar. I never got a second opinion. I'm pretty oh, sure wow. it was just the ADHD. Yeah, they I, said, I did not know that. They said that recently, like last year, that uh, okay. they were like, because someone was like, well, you were diagnosed bipolar. And they're like, about that, that was just the doctors at that one treatment center. Like, I don't think it was as bad as they had thought because also they were looking at me on drugs. And yeah. when I'm sober these things come up, but it's nowhere near as bad as when I was on drugs. Oh, wow. So I'm 
everyone has pretty much told me that I have ADHD and I was misdiagnosed. And they say it's common. Like some people are misdiagnosed as bipolar um, when they really just have undiagnosed ADHD, untreated ADHD. Yeah, so then when I was being treated for my ADHD, I'm like, I don't feel depressed. Like I don't fall asleep randomly. Like, you know, I feel like the little tasks I'm able to, even though they still feel like hurdles and every day I yeah. have to journal like use a planner to get through everything like I get them done I start them do you ever do sticky notes on the wall I used to and at my <laughs> army job I had to put sticky notes on my desk and I'd pull them down when I was done with each yeah. of them and yeah it completely changed my life like I unless something is going on in my life I'm not depressed and that was the thing like if I've ever had like this just depressive episode or whatever, it's because something is causing it. Like yeah. there were things going on in my personal life that just like made me want to die at that point. Um, but other than that, like just like my, like I'm not getting like told like you should off yourself, you know, you're worthless, nothing like that. If there's no influence, I'm completely fine. I have a question. Have you ever not been on your medication and noticed the difference? Yes. Because um, I have not tried the, the when you're on. I'm, I'm on Adderall, but I don't like it. I, I'm going to be switching with it, but this is not – this is low, yeah, but, like, okay. my, my shaking has gotten worse. Yeah. Where we're going to be switching over to user Concerta. That's mm -hmm. the next one we're going to try. Yeah. But um, when I was on Adderall, I was, again, forgetful to order my meds and all this jazz. So I went a couple of, of weeks where I wasn't taking it as well mm -hmm. or as often. I was, like, choosing which yeah. days. And I remember – I couldn't do shit. Yeah, you can't. I can't do it. shit, and that's when I realized the amount of energy I had been exhausting all my fucking life to just be on par yes. with so many other people. It's like you have to overexert yourself just to get there, and that's why it's like I was, I was not a straight A student, like as an elementary school mm -hmm. kid and stuff. It was just, um, you know, that I was. I was doing the most. I could have been a straight A student had I been medicated, but I had to try so much harder than everyone else just to be like up there with them. And mm -hmm. like, I wanted to be in like the gate, the gifted programs and everything. And I wanted to be in the AP classes. I wasn't in AP classes, but like freshman year of high school, I was in advanced English, but I couldn't keep up. And I, cause I can't comprehend what I'm reading if I'm being assigned to read a book so like um oh. to kill a mockingbird and like all those books we had to read it was so hard to go through and annotate i, I fall asleep when i read a book that i i mean i've gone without being medicated of course because they don't let you like just pick up a day early or a week early and it's a huge process because it is a controlled substance and i mean i get it and i know i make my doctors aware i'm like i have addiction in my family like my mom was addicted to meth my dad i'm believe may have dabbled in meth but I know he was like addicted to opioids and um I don't I don't let them increase my dose like I've been on this medication since 2018 and mm -hmm. I have not allowed them to increase I'm at 27 milligrams and I have stayed at that so that's been fine and I think that's why they have not really had an issue with me um because they know that like I'm afraid of becoming addicted. But um, like on the times where it's taking so long for them to fill my prescription, I lose all motivation. And it goes back to high school when I thought I was like depressed and like the counselor was like, well, what's wrong? I'm like, I just don't care. Like I don't care to do my homework. Like I lose motivation. And my, the counselor was like, well, you take the time with your hair and makeup. I'm like, cause that stuff is like Ooh. rewarding to me. Like that's, I get instant grat gratification. Yeah. Listen to that. I get, it's the, dopamine. It's the dopamine. <laughs> and that's why I realized too, my eating problems 
came from, they started with my ex-stepmom because she was overweight and she was like, she made it known that she was jealous of my mom who was skinny. I mean, I don't think she was on drugs yet, but you know, she was skinny for most of her life and had three kids and my ex-stepmom had like body image issues, but she was also super like strict and would feed us huge plates of food and not let us get it from the table until we were done eating. My mom never believed in that. She's like, when a kid is full, they're full. Yeah. You don't force it. Like, my kids know how to eat. They'll they'll fuck up some food when they're hungry. Yeah. Um. So, like, I was forced to binge eat like that, you know, oh, wow. forced to be full. And then your stomach expands. Your stomach is used to more food. And then the undiagnosed ADHD, I eventually, I was a snacker. I used, when I was little, I used to snack on fruit. Like, I'd hide behind the couch and, like, eat tomatoes, thinking that it was, like, I'd convince myself it was a peach. I don't know. Weird. Tomatoes. But, like, <laughs> in, I, you know, I would get the dopamine from snacking all the time. So mm-hmm. then that caused an eating disorder, too, because I'm like, fuck, can I just stop snacking all the time? That's why I was bulimic and not anorexic. Like, that's where my dopamine comes. I want hot Cheetos with lemon juice. <laughs> Yeah, and so like I would eat everything and then I would just throw it up and then like do the calorie counting. Like when I became pregnant, I was like, yeah, I'm no, not happening. Like, so it's easy. It was easy for me to not have an eating disorder anymore, especially because like my teeth, we have bad enamel in my family and then like bulimia Mm -hmm. fucked up my teeth even more. I work out every day, but that helps your ADHD. It does. Mm -hmm. But when I'm not on my medication, Ask my husband. I'm like, oh, I just feel like shit. Da, 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 da. Like I have no motivation. And the weather here sucks. Like I'm used to California. <laughs> I have seasonal affective disorder. So it just makes it that much worse. And then when I'm medicated again, I'm like, Ugh. like I'm still sluggish because of the weather. And I think I'm just used to my medication by now. But now it'll be one o'clock in the morning. Like this morning, one o'clock in the morning. And I knew I had all this to do. And I'm like, I can't just go to bed. Like, let me go to the gym. But if I'm on my medication, that's not happening. Do you consider yourself a night owl? Yes, always have been. Oh, my God. <laughs> my dad, and it's funny because my dad was like, oh, I called because my dad's going to come visit for my, our birthdays. He was like, oh, I called Skylar and was asking about the airport. I'm like, you can call me. He was like, you're not up at like 9 a.m. I was like, what time do you think the kids go to school? He's like, like 8. And I was like, okay, so... That means I gotta wake up at like what seven? <laughs> He's like, what? I'm like, yeah. If I'm, like, I'm on it because my mom was always late. Her ADHD, drug problems, it embarrassed me that my mom was late. And so you're always on it. You know the thing I'm that's funny is that um, my dad was always on time. You know, for him being on time was late. Yeah. So when I always got used to being on things on time, and as the years have gone on, and mm-hmm. I've lost that habit from him. Yeah. I, I, for my appointments, I, if it's my appointment is at two o'clock, I schedule on my phone at 145. Yeah. That way I can get there on time. <laughs> so yeah, on base is where our like doctor's appointments are at. Yeah. I live on base. It takes like 10, 15 minutes to get there. I leave half an hour early just to make sure I have time for parking, everything. Yeah. Like something like today where there's no like, uh, consequence or anything like that. I'm usually running late because I don't have my kids with me. I need to make sure they're fine, whatever. But if it's going to affect my kids and make my kids look bad, oh, uh uh-uh. I show up to their school, which is only six minutes away from my house. I show up 30 minutes early and I park, turn off my car, park in the carpool lane, just to make sure they're one of the first kids that are getting picked up as soon as they get out of school. And they're at school. We leave half an hour early. They're at school with at least 15 to 30 minutes to eat their breakfast at school. Like... I will never, and they know 
it's so cool to look at them and just have them not worry at all. Like they already know when they walk out, mom's there or dad's there. Yeah. Like I'm like, God, I wish I had that because I always stressed I would be the kid in the office, like waiting for my mom. And she'd rush in and I wouldn't know if she's on drugs or if, you know, it's just her ADHD. She'd be like, sorry, your brother hid the keys. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is embarrassing. Damn. Cause like also, yeah, I was the Mexican kid who like had the irresponsible teen mom who like, of course, there's so many teen moms who like get their shit together. Like just look at some of the uh, 16 and pregnant cast, yeah. like Chelsea, oh my God, she lives like the best life ever. But that wasn't the case for my mom. Like, my mom was just a hot mess. And I am also grateful for it because it gives me, like, a perfect guideline as to, like, what not to do. Because Mm -hmm. I was that kid that it affected, I know how it will affect my kids. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that's something my kids will never have to worry about. And they don't even know that they don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Because it's just, like, a mom is just going to be there on time. Like, what do you mean mom's not here yet? Yeah. Like, that just doesn't happen. There's something I wanted to touch base on what you said about how it's easy for you to not have an eating disorder while you were pregnant. Oh. I think I don't quote me on this, but I think that with ADHD and addiction, it's it's easier to sway stay away from the addictive thing because I um I had a I had a problem with with alcohol and it took me a while to um, admit it, but I was self medicating myself with alcohol mm. for for many years, and so I quit drinking all completely during quarantine and so when i told my psychiatrist this she was like oh damn and during quarantine yeah because most people took on drinking and everything i took on see i i I became a pothead though but yeah no it was relatively easy for me not to drink and i think it has to do with the adhd again don't quote me on this i think that's that's what i had heard somewhere and it I mean, that's it happened I think to me, so. happened to you. So I think it's because it's oh, when you're aware of mm, it. It's the uh, uh, if it's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, there we go. I yeah, think that's out another of sight, reason out of mind. mind. Because you know what? When I was younger, my parents allowed us to drink and party because my parents like they had the right idea. They just didn't know how what to do with it. Yeah, they were realistic. They're like, you know, kids are gonna drink regardless. Rather you do it in the house. Rather your friends fucking spend the night here yeah. so I don't have to get a call that someone died leaving my house. Yeah. And I didn't know there was a party at my house. My parents were those parents. So I partied and drank drink before I was 21 and I felt like I got it out of my system. So by the time I was 21, I moved, I lived in Germany. Oh, I moved there at 20 and you could legally drink under yeah. 21. So I had my fun drinking and I got over it and then I got pregnant and it's just never been like a thing like, oh, I have to do this because... I got it out of my system young and it was out of sight, out of mind. Like I had a new thing going on my life. So why am I thinking about drinking? But when the pandemic happened, I started to drink all the time, like micheladas because I love miches. And it was because my husband is a drinker. Like that's his thing. He doesn't like need to get hot or nothing like that. Well, he can't in the military, but like he, well, he's a tourist. They're always going to drink or smoke cigarettes. He doesn't smoke cigarettes because when we had, a baby he didn't want there to be smoke on their clothes and stuff so um he was just like yeah let's drink he he's always known to initiate it like do you want me to go pick up some drinks and i'm just like a good like passenger seat person you know i didn't have my license until yeah. like my late 20s mm-hmm. till like recently <laughs> um and so i'm just like okay i would go with the flow but i'm never one who's like yeah let's drink let's go get something to drink and i started to drink a lot with him because he was always like yeah let's drink during quarantine and i've had to tell him 
we're not drinking. Don't ask me if I want to drink. I'm trying to lose weight. Because I Michas get you so swollen. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no. And I tell him, I'm like, if I was not married to you, I would not be drinking unless it was like a special occasion. Just because I don't care. Like, I forget. While I'm drinking, I forget about my drink. And I think it is true, like, the out of sight, out of mind. Because I don't crave a michelada unless my husband brings up, like, having a drink together. I don't care about it. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then... Like, even my mom, too, um, so she knows she has ADHD, but then when she gets prescribed medication, she's like, I don't know if I want to take it because, you know, I don't want to mess with that. And if that's not the lifestyle she's living, she's not, like, doing speed or anything. Like, she's not thinking about that every day, so she doesn't, she doesn't care. And my dad doesn't drink at all. And I don't think my dad has ADHD. He's just a Gemini, so. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're both Geminis, but um, my dad has I've never known him to drink alcohol and the only time I have like seen him drink was when he was like in his opioid addiction um I believe that's what it was and so like I know something's wrong with my dad if he's like going to drink it's his personality he's like no I'm cool I'm in control of my body I don't need to drink nothing he like used to sell weed and he never was a weed smoker and I'm the same way and so that we're very similar he's like yeah you're like me like you like being in control of your body i'm like i really do because i didn't have control over my crazy life that you guys brought me into yeah and my mom calls me a hall monitor oh my god or like regulator you know like regulators mount up because ever since i was little i'd be like um are you drinking alcohol and i and then i was the kid who <gasps> after she got out of rehab you know they get you on to cigarettes or or like some kind of tobacco or um or caffeine if you were on like hard drugs like Mm -hmm. they're gonna find a lesser drug so she got into smoking cigarettes when I was like eight and I was the one who would throw away her cigarettes and I would be like um you're being irresponsible oh my god and she's like you fucking little hall monitor (laughs) and like we we lived like like sisters because my mom never really got to like fully raise me until Mm -hmm. I was a teenager um I am known as you know like ansiedad the homeowner because it is like everything you know eating disorder everything it comes back to like a sense of control because I didn't choose this life and no one chooses to be mm-hmm. born but at the same time like I would never choose to be born to teen parents with all these like unhealed traumas and like just have to go through the cycle of poverty um yeah so a lot of my life like i'm a square and a lot of it is like everything's like cautionary tale for my life that's like the theme of it all because just it's been hard and i have to be like extra annoying and a square in order to get through life a little bit easier and not fall off the track i get that yeah well damn um, but yeah, Ari, do you want to do any shout outs or social media? Oh, okay. <laughs> if you care, you can follow me on Twitter. My at is at P-R-I-Z-Z-I-I-I-A. It looks like it says Priscilla, but I had to make the I look like else. Gotcha. Um, Instagram is at Priscilla. It's just my first name, P-R-I-Z-Z-I-L-L-A. And it's the same for TikTok and just about any other social media account. Um, I don't know. 
Who else to shout out? Shout out to anyone who cares to listen to this. And <laughs> I'm sorry if I offended anyone. Um, just know that I am always open to learning and to doing better. Yeah, same. Alrighty. Um, well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate thank you doing you. this with me. Um, and to everyone, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, signing off. Bye. Bye. <laughs>